0: Welcome to Your Business, Your Life with Matt DeFrancesco, your personal financial technician. Whether you've had years of success in your business or just starting out, High Lift Financial can help you create a vision for your business, life, and family and align these for generational wealth. As they say, what happens in your life affects your business. And now on to the show. Well, hello, and welcome to Your Business, Your Life with me, Matt DiFrancesco. And uh, I am honored today to have a repeat guest now. We had Mike on last year, so but I'm really excited. I, you know, I got to see him down at the uh, CIC in the Southeast Collision Conference, and he agreed to come back on because I think he's got an interesting topic there, especially when we're looking at building value in our business. So for those of you who don't know Mike, Mike Anderson, he's kind of the guru in the business, if you don't mind me calling you that, Mike. Thank you. He's been... Uh, Multiple shops. He now has Collision Advice, which is an industry research, reference, and consulting business. Speaks with a lot of passion. I mean, every conference that I go to, Mike's talks are just packed. The room is just packed full, and and he's got just a wealth of knowledge in the business, and just kind of seeing, you know, especially in the research that he does. So, Mike, I'm really honored to have you on again. To, uh, so, you know, thank, thank you. you for coming on to Your Business, Your Life.
1: No, it's it's my honor and I'm very
0: humbled and grateful for the opportunity. So thank you so much. No problem. No problem. Listen, I'm humbled too here. So anyway, so Mike, I know, you know, your topic this year is about being extraordinary. So I wanted you to just kind of touch on that a little bit because, you know, for those shop owners who may not have had the chance to hear you speak this year, talk a little bit about what that means.
1: Yeah. So every year I pick a theme is, you know, I go around the country and I speak. And my theme for this year is be extraordinary. And I believe that, first of all, it seems like everybody has cars to fix or vehicles to fix, but not everybody has people. So right. you need to have an extraordinary culture so that people don't just love their job, they love the organization they work for. So you got to be an extraordinary employer and have an extraordinary culture. I believe we also have to deliver an extraordinary customer service experience. A lot of times people confuse customer service from customer experience, right? right. And so customer service is just the table stakes, right? Answering the phone within two rings and greeting them. But we have to deliver a phenomenal customer experience because as one of the things I learned from a gentleman by the name of Nick Schoolcraft from Phoenix Solutions, Mm -hmm. We talked about that there's a term called social proof. Yeah, right. that today's vehicle owners or consumers are looking for social proof that we can be trusted. So in order for us to get that social proof, which could be, you know, having your shop listed on an OEM shop locator or online reviews, we have to deliver an extraordinary customer service experience so that somebody wants to go online and give us a review. The other thing that we said you have to be extraordinary at is OEM research. Mm-hmm. Today's vehicles are much more complicated with ADAS and calibrations and possibly you know, electric vehicles that are entering into our future now, we need to make sure that we're extraordinary at understanding how to utilize the OEM repair procedures in order to figure out how to fix the vehicle safely and properly. And there were some other areas that I touched on in my presentation as well, but we just have to be extraordinary. You know, my dad used to have a saying, you know, my father passed away last May, oh. but my dad said that being average is just as close to the bottom as it is to the top and so our goal should be to strive to be above average or be extraordinary
0: right yeah you know there's an old saying that says good is always gets in the way of great Yes. and you know and and too many times I think we we do things oh, hey we're doing a good job but if we just took that little extra step how that can really transform your business you know I know one of the things I loved in your talks is when you uh called the shops you know and it, it is amazing to me because well why'd you explain the process I think that's because yeah, really, so, yeah, yeah, that, so. that's I think that's fascinating sure. I' mean, it's probably better you explaining it than me so sure so one of the other areas we say that you need
1: to be extraordinary at is you need to be extraordinary in talking about mentioning and marketing your OEM certifications. you know We right. at Collision Vice strongly believe in OEM certifications. We believe that they are going to play a more significant role in the future mm-hmm. through telematics and connected vehicles, as well as OEM insurance. And so for the shops that have invested in those OEM certifications, they need to be extraordinary in sharing that information with the vehicle owner. So one of the examples we do at our conferences when we are speaking live is that we will bring one or two shops up on stage Age and we'll say, "Hey, tell us an OEM certification you have." And they'll say, "You know, for example, I have Nissan, and and I'm a DRP for this company, or whatever the case may be." Well, what we do, or maybe they're not a DRP, and they just say, "Hey, I'm Nissan or Toyota certified." And so we'll call that shop and say, "Hey, you know, I just wrecked my Nissan. I've got ABC insurance." And what we see is that 99 of the time, whoever answers that phone starts going down the insurance path. Like, have you got an estimate yet? You know, have you filed a claim yet? And what they do is they never. Help that consumer to feel reassured that they've called the right place. Mm-hmm. And what we talk about is that when somebody's in an accident and they call your facility, they're feeling negative emotions, right? You know, they're mad, they're frustrated, they're concerned, they're stressed, they're having anxiety. Their car might not ever be the same again. So, the first thing we should do is try to mention our OEM certifications. And I shouldn't even say try; that's a powerless word. But yeah. what we must do, we must do, is mention our OEM certifications and about how we've invested in the training equipment to be OEM certified and we've had advanced training on their vehicle. And so really, and then what we do is we call some shops, you know, live, like we did at the Southeast Conference. And and we see if they even mention that. And unfortunately, in most cases, they don't. So we talk about, again, that extraordinary customer service experience, right? Right. I would encourage anybody on here, they don't have to use collision advice, right? What they could do is just have a friend or family member just call your shop and record the conversation. And the question I would leave everybody with is whoever answers your phones, if I wreck my vehicle and I call your shop, are you going to make me feel less stressed, less anxious, less worried, less any of those negative emotions? And are you reassuring me that I've called the right place and I'm in good hands?
0: Right. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned about social proof and there's a, there was a book that came out years ago called Influence by a guy named Robert Cialdini. And social proof is one of those six areas of influence. But the first one is called reciprocity. And the whole idea of reciprocity is so, you know, Mike, if I give you a gift, what's your natural inclination? Is I want to give you a gift back or exactly. I want to
1: reward you in some way or show my gratitude.
0: Right, exactly. And in a way, by telling the consumer these certifications, I really see that as almost giving a gift to that person. Like You're you're giving them that gift that they can feel reassured, and I think they're going to be more inclined to want to do business with that shop. Would you agree with that? I 100% agree. I couldn't have said it better. Okay, so, you know, and, and uh, the, the, for anybody that's listening out there, I think this is a great, great book to read and kind of start to take some of these concepts that are there. So we talked, you talked a little bit about building culture. So I want to talk a little bit about employees because, you know, as, we, as we've talked about, you know, my real role in working with shop owners is helping them to prepare the business for an eventual transfer down the road. And I specifically do family transfers and key employees. So why is it important to build culture? Culture, and how can that fit into building value into the business that down the road they can eventually, you know, that an owner who wants to finally transition out of it can do so in a much smoother way? Yeah, so I think culture, I think people,
1: they undervalue how important that is, right? They, I don't think people really understand that. And I, I mean, I think there's been tons of studies done that talk about ESI, right? Employee mm-hmm. Satisfaction Index. How happy are people, you know, in their jobs? Do they feel gratified? Do they feel rewarded? Do they feel appreciated? However, what I can say is that we work with people that buy and sell. Now, I don't represent those businesses right. such as yourself or others do, but my clients will seek out me for just some advice if they're in those discussions. And what I will tell you is 100%, 100% without any hesitation or reservation, the clients of mine that have sold for the most money
0: mm-hmm.
1: had the best cultures. Yeah. There's 100% a parallel there, right? Those that have the best culture, highest performing teams, absolutely 100% tend to get the most for their business from a, an evaluation standpoint.
0: That's great. I, you know, and, and again, so what are some of the things when you talk about building this culture? Can you give some examples as to some ways that a, that a shop owner can do this? You know,
1: I got to tell you, one of the, probably one of the biggest ways that I've ever heard from a shop in regards to how to reward or build a good culture is a, a shop called Trinity Collision in Moncton, Canada. Okay. And it's a dealership shop. And there's a gentleman there by the name of Danny Brown and, and then another gentleman by the name of Rob, who's the manager. And it's a dealership shop. And what Mr. Taylor, who owns the dealership, what he does is when somebody does something extraordinary and he wants to recognize or reward them for that, he doesn't Tend to do it through some type of financial bonus, you know, like, you know, cause in his thought process, which I 100% agree with, is that if I give you a thousand dollar bonus and you spend that money three years from now, you won't remember what you spent it on. But if I can reward you or recognize you in a way that creates a memory then you will remember that forever and tell your family and friends. So let me give you an example. Let's say Matt, that you're working for me. You were doing a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. and somebody just giving you a bonus. Maybe I'll take and pay somebody to clean your house every week for a month. Wow. That creates a memory, right? And now what happens is you're going to talk about that. Your wife's going to talk about it and, and it just builds a lot of goodwill. So I'm not saying that you have to pay somebody to clean somebody's house, but I'm just using that as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Find out something that's important to that person and reward them in a way that creates a memory, right? And if I can reward you, I, I guarantee you, nobody will ever forget if you paid to clean their house for a month, right? Versus if you give them a bonus, they spend that money, it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. I have another employer that I know of, a shop owner. And what he does is he does what's called paid, paid vacation, Pay paid, paid vacation. And so what he finds is that, let's say that, for example, for your vacation pay, you just get paid whatever your average is. And let's just say that you're making you know, $1,500 a week and you take off a week, you get $1,500. Yeah. Well, you you still have bills you have to pay, right? So you still have to take part of that $1,500 and unless you've saved maybe you don't necessarily go on vacation. So what he does is once a year, not only does he pay you what your average is for your vacation, but he gives you an extra $2,000. And he says, but this can only be used to like pay for a hotel or airfare or something so that you have to use it to go on vacation. Or maybe if you're driving somewhere, you have to use that for spending money and he reimburses you. But at the end of the day, he gives you a paid, paid vacation, which means not only do you get your average, but you get that money, that you can use again towards airfare or hotel or rent a you know a beach house or something, right? Right. Again, that that creates a memory. So I think there are a lot of things we can do like that, but we have to think outside the box. You know, another thing that's really important to me from a culture standpoint is there's a guy named Dr. Chapman that wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, and then he wrote a book called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And understand that not everybody's motivated by money. Right. It also depends on where you're at in your career. You may have someone that's you know like our age that. That, you know, hey, you know, maybe we're getting our house down to where it's paid for. But what's more important to us is quality time with, you know, grandkids or something, right? Or, you know, everybody's just at a different point in their life. Some people are not motivated by money. They're motivated by the ability that they want the prestige of training to be able to say, hey, I'm a Mercedes-Benz factory certified technician. And so that prestige is why they want to work for your organization. So I think understanding that not everybody's motivated, not to say there aren't people motivated by money, but not everybody's motivated the same way.
0: Yeah, no, and I, that makes complete sense. And and uh, an old uh, friend of mine used to always say that recognition, babies cry for it, men die for it. Yes. And it's, it, yeah, and I think it's so true. So when we're looking at rec I've never heard that, but that's a great saying. I might have to plagiarize that from you. You could go ahead. Listen, I stole it from somebody else. So you could steal it from me. It's not a problem. But so as they're looking to create these incentive programs, how are you recommending that shop owners measure you know, are there are there KPIs that are used, or how do they measure an employee's performance to be able to get this bonus or or get, you know, whatever this incentive so is? So the first thing is, and
1: and maybe this isn't necessarily the answer to your question, but I am a strong believer in doing employee reviews. Okay. I think employee reviews at a minimum once a year, but I personally, I prefer many, many reviews every quarter and then twice a year, a very in-depth employee review, where we have a chance to connect with that employee and determine what's important to them and what are their career goals and what are their personal and professional goals. In addition, I generally like to give my employees a questionnaire to complete Mm -hmm. prior to that employee review, where I ask them to rate their own performance. Like, Matt, how would you rate your performance for in um, regards to attendance and punctuality on a scale of one to five, how would you rate you, you know et cetera et cetera and then and then also ask you to rate me like you know out of all the benefits we offer how important is 401k do you want to scale of one to five how important is paid vacations how important is paid time you know whatever the case may be right and are there any things that you wish I offered as a benefit that I didn't offer and so I think having that engagement through employee reviews is really really important now in regards to rewarding employees and KPIs, I think it really depends on what that person's role is, right? So, you know, we build a lot of pay plans for people that, you know, people ask us to customize pay plans. I think, you know, you had used to, you had people that were, the employees were hourly or the employees were like flat rate or commission. I think you're seeing people now that start to look outside the box for, other types of pay plans, right? So one of the things that we talk about is that your pay plans, if they're going to be incentivized or based off of a KPI or key performance indicators, it needs to be smart. And there's that acronym smart, right? It has to be specific. It has to be measurable has to be attainable, it has to be realistic, and it has to be timely. So it has to be a specific KPI. So let's say that I'm a customer service rep and I'm building a pay plan for you, it has to be specific, like it's gonna be based off of, you know, online reviews or survey response rate or receivables, it has to be measurable, meaning is there a third-party trusted source that both the employee and the employer can use to monitor that performance? It has to also be attainable, I meaning it has to be under their area of expertise. Like, you know, a customer service rep may not have direct influence over outstanding parts credits. It's not their area of responsibility. So it has to be something that they could be responsible for. They could influence in their position. Then it has to be realistic. Like you don't want to say, hey, your bonus is based on us hitting $500,000 a month in sales when the most you've ever done is $200,000. Right. And then it has to be timely, meaning that, you know, is it paid weekly? Is it bi-weekly? Is it monthly? Is it quarterly, right? So, and, and personally, I think monthly bonuses for the pre-month, that previous month is probably best way to do it. But, you know, it's, it's very, you know, CS customer service reps are gonna be, you know, CSI receivables, online reviews, survey response rate. A parts person might be off a gross profit. It could be parts returns. It could be parts credits, you know, an estimator, it could be incentivized off of average labor hours, you know, per estimate, it could be supplement ratio. If it's a technician, like a painter, for example, maybe it's based off of pay materials, profitability, or boost cycles, or things of that nature. So I think there's a lot of things that you just have to think about what that person's area of responsibility is. And how can you incentivize that? And I think pay plans can change,
0: right? I mean, you know, the industry is changing as well. Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned about, you know, the, these employee reviews. I went to a leadership conference last year that my coach was running and it was interesting because part of the pre-work he sent out to me was here, I want you to send this to your staff and I want them to evaluate you. And I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe that type of process because I yes, think that's a, that's a hard one for us sometimes as business owners, I'm- you know, Yeah. So when I own
1: my own shops, I was at a 20 group called the Coyote Vision Group um, that was moderated by Elena Satchery, who's one of my greatest mentors in my life. And one of the things when we were at a 20 group with Elena was we had a guest speaker come in and he asked us, how many of us thought our employees trusted us? And I raised my hand. I'm like, my employees, trust me, they love me. And he's like, would you allow me to come in and survey your employees? And I was like, absolutely. Some of my office doing some work and he surveys my employees. And the first thing he does when he walks in my office is he shuts the door. And I'm like, oh, crap, that's not a good sign, right? He shut the door. And he said, Mike, would you like to know how many of your employees trust you? Keyword, trust me.
0: Trust you, right? I said,
1: absolutely. And it was less than 60%. Wow. And I was shocked. And I was like, oh, my God, are they going to quit on me? I mean, what's going on? And he goes, no, Mike, they love working for you. They just don't trust you. And I was like, what do you mean? How can they love working for me, but not trust me? He said, they don't trust you because you've made promises you did not keep. Like you said, hey, I'll send you to BMW school. Or I'll, you know, if you're in the out on the wash rack, I'll give you a chance to be a body tech. But then I hired somebody else. Or you know, I'll review your pay after 90 days. And what I found was that broken promises lead to a loss of trust. So when I go on site now to do shop consulting, one of the things we do is we survey all of the employees and say, has anybody, an owner or a management position ever made a promise to you they did not keep? And would you be willing to share that with us? Because we have found that if we're going to affect change in a shop environment, the first thing we have to do is get everybody to trust everyone, right? And so, yes, I believe there's a lot of value in using a third party or a business coach. Uh, maybe you get somebody from your paint company that will come in and do that for you. Uh, maybe it's somebody like yourself or Laura Gay. I mean, there's a lot of companies that could probably assist with that, right? Yep. And I encourage you getting someone else. Maybe maybe it's the pastor of your church or maybe it's somebody at your bank. But you know, again, allowing people that they can share something privately without fear of retribution and again don't take it personal right like you know i had two choices when the guy told me less than 60 percent of my employees trusted me i could take it personal and go out there and you know be a seagull manager and crap on everybody and fly away or i could do what it took to re-earn their trust and that's Mm -hmm. what i i feel that people should do so it's it's difficult to not be defensive in a situation like that but i think doing an annual survey of your employees to just see how they view you as an owner or a leader,
0: or maybe you have department managers in your
1: locations as well. Right. Uh, I think that's really, really important.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because I look at so many shop owners that invest all this money and OEM certifications and training for their employees, but how much personal development money are they investing in themselves? And, you know, I've heard some of your talks and you talk about like, you know, missing parts, discounts and, and little things. And I think it's not it's not intentional. I mean, nobody wants to leave money on the table, but we get so busy being wrapped up in the business that we kind of that's where some of these things. I mean, I'm sure that's probably happened in your case where that trust was broken because you made that promise. But then you're busy trying to run the business that you forget about. It. And then you're like, oh, I got to go address this. And you address it in a different way, not even thinking about what you had promised the employee. Employee, and you know, one of the things that and, and and my coach has taught me this, and I teach my clients this, is that the, the bigger that you start to grow, the more time you need to spend not just in the business, but you need to spend on the business, working wow. strategically, analyzing, looking at numbers, where are we missing? Where can we increase profit margins? And also getting renewal time, getting out of the damn shop and, and just you know, relaxing a little bit because you know Napoleon Hill talks about how to get your subconscious mind working on problems. And the only way we can do that is to be detached from the day-to-day what the conscious mind is working on. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. The first is that...
1: Going back to the shops, I told you that we we're able to sell their businesses for the most that had the best culture. Another common thread that they all had was they had all invested in sending their team through Discover Leadership through Mike Jones in Houston, Texas. Okay, so yeah. I got to give Mike a big shout out. I can tell you everybody on the Collision Vice team, mm-hmm. when they kind of work for us, we send them through Discover Leadership even today. But I can tell you that Mike is really great at helping people to build a team and build culture. So shout out to Mike Jones at Discover Leadership. But the other piece of it, I would say, and let me just get this book out of my backpack real quick. Um, yeah, no problem. There's, um, there are two books that I've been recently reading. And uh, one is called Rocket Fuel. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Traction. And great. Yeah. Yeah. And they both, and, and Rocket Fuel was a follow up book to Traction, but it talks about, you know, and again, I'll hold this up so anybody can see it, but it talks about that there are people that are visionaries and then there's implementers. And we all, most of us that are entrepreneurs, we are visionaries, right? We have this vision for what we want our business to be, but we need implementers in our life to help us to make our dreams become reality. But I also think it's important, and I learned this from a gentleman who's unfortunately passed away. His name was Jerry Dalton. He owned Craftsman Autobody in Virginia. And I remember one time I walked into an Autobody Association meeting, and I was very frustrated. And Jerry's like, what's wrong, Mike? And I said, you know, my doggone employees, right? This one, I had my body shops. So I was like, man, they just don't do things the way I want them to. And he started laughing. And I was like, Jerry, I don't think it's funny. What's so funny? And he was, Mike, if they had your same passion, your same drive, They would own their own business. They wouldn't be working for you. Right. You need to realize that, yes, you have a right to expect people to show up to work on time, wear their uniforms, et cetera. But they're not always going to be as driven or as passionate as you are as an entrepreneur, as an owner or manager, because of the fact that they were, that they'd own their own business, right? And that's okay. And you just need to understand that. So just to recap, I I think investing in soft skills training for your people that are outside of the collision industry, but like discover leadership to build leaders, right? Right. I think is really, really important. So shout out to Mike Jones. Mm -hmm. Number two is understand that without people that are implementers, none of us as visionaries would accomplish anything. And that's where I'm so blessed to have on my team, like Tracy Nabrowski and Tiffany Driggers, two of my, I mean, I, I love my entire team but those two have been with me for over 25 years and they've helped me to implement a lot of my visions and I'm thankful for them. Um, and I would be nowhere without them. And then the third piece is just understand as an owner, not everybody's going to have the same passion as you. So right. don't be so frustrated with them.
0: Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I run into this a lot. Actually, Frank Turlop wants me to speak on this at the um, CIC in July about alternatives to consolidation. Because, and I run into this a lot, and I know Laura does too, because Laura ends up sending a lot of people to me. Because sometimes they get to the be our age, and you kind of look up from under the hood, and you're like, "Okay, what's next in life?" I have no idea, right? Yes. And and they don't know what the options are. And sometimes they think, you know, it's a consolidator. And I was relating to you earlier about, you know, I, I had guys coming up to me and. The conference, one guy in particular who was like, Hey, look, I know I could sell my shop to consolidators. My he does multiple shops. He goes, I don't have any kids that are interested in the business, but I want to take care of my employees. And I think it's important to also, and I want you to address this a little bit, you know, as you talk about these employees' reviews, is find out what. Employees, what their future vision is. Do at some point they want, maybe they have some visionary capabilities and maybe at some point want to be able to transition the business because, you know, not only is it about your exit now, but you've also got to think about, heck, if I get hit by a Mack truck, what's going to happen to my shop and what's going to happen to my family's income? So, wanted to talk about trying to get into your employees' heads about where they see themselves as going down the road.
1: Yeah. So when I think about that question that you've posed, one of the things I would tell everyone that's listening now is that every single thing you do today and tomorrow and in the future should directly be related to what you want your succession plan to be. Mm -hmm. Every choice you make should be based on where you want to be at, you know, whenever it is you want to retire, right? Your end goal should dictate your current goals, right? Right. So with that said, I do think it's important that when you do your employee reviews to ask your employees or your team, you know, what are their personal goals? Mm. And In my mind, they have to be able to accomplish their personal goals by accomplishing my company goals. So let's say, for example, that they want to send their kids through college. Well, do you think by working for me you will be able to send your kids through college one day. If that answer is yes, then we're a good fit. If that answer is no, or I'm not sure, then maybe I'm not the best employer for you. So let me help you to find a job right? I had a young lady that worked for me one time when I had my shops and her personal goal was she wanted to open up a catering business. So could she accomplish her personal goals by working for me? And she didn't think that she could. And I said, well, you know, sometimes we will cater food to some of the people that were first work. How about whenever I need to do that, as long as you're willing to come in a little earlier, stay a little late and get your work done, I'll let you take off to go cater it. and, And then you can find out if that's truly a love of your life or is it just a hobby. And then if that's the case, then as long as you, train your replacement, I'll help you to write a business plan and get clients and help you to become. And she has a successful catering business to this day. So wow. I think understanding people's personal goals, but you know, also you may uncover that and, and the, your employee reviews that some of the people that work for you may desire to own their own shop one day. Right. Well, if that's the case, then start having that conversation now as to how your compensation plan may prepare for that. The reality is is There are some people that may work with you that will be able to afford to buy your business. There are others that may want to, but maybe because they're taking care of their parents or something like that, they don't have the way to save the money. So maybe part of their compensation package is that you give them a bonus that goes into like an escrow that could be used for a future down payment of Mm -hmm. 20% with SBA. And then they get a loan for SBA for the other 80% and then buy you out. So if you think you identify someone like that, and maybe it's one person or multiple people, you know, start having those conversations now. There's also things like phantom stock, right? Or golden handcuffs that like, maybe you say, hey, If I sell my business or grow it, you know, I'm going to give you a percentage of the sales as long as you stay on for one year to ensure a smooth transition. If you're looking to sell your business and you have someone that is willing to stay on, that's a key employee. And you say, look, if you stay on for a year after I sell, I'll reward you in this financial way that makes your business worth more. But again, if you've got somebody that you think you're gonna want to sell your business to in the future, that's not a family member, I think you start those conversations now, right? You know, and there's other things you wanna do as well, like making sure that, you know, I encourage people to set up a management company, any of their personal expenses, they're running through that. And then the shop just pays a flat percentage to the management company so that they can then make it easier to streamline their financials, but also accurate financials are important. But I, I will say this, right? It's very unfortunate that i have had instances in my career where um somebody's spouse reached out to me let's say that the husband was the shop owner and they passed away unexpectedly their significant other their wife had no experience in our business and then a manager just started taking advantage of them right and eventually the business they either got stolen from or the business got run on the ground so if you're listening to this right now this session that you and I are doing and you're an owner, you owe it to yourself to make sure that you've got something in place that's going to protect your family should you pass away. Unfortunately, that your family is not going to be or, you know, you have a wife or children that are stuck with something they know nothing about. And every day that this business gets devalued. You know, one of the things that I also have seen done is that, you know, I've seen uh, I have two shop clients that are both within two hours of proximity of each other's shop. And they both kind of have this agreement that if one of us passes away, the other one will get like a consulting fee from the estate, and they'll help to manage the business and keep it afloat until it gets sold. Right? right. Another thing I say is that if you're looking to do succession planning and you're looking for your children to take over your business, make sure you always have an arbitrator or mediator built into that. So <laughs> if, the two, if the two siblings can't come to an ag- agreement, yeah, still keep the family unit intact. But again, you know, Matt, that's where I believe your expertise is. Right. And I, I think people should be thinking about now again, what's your succession plan? And start thinking about that today, because I, I cannot tell you the stories that I personally have know firsthand. That's factual, not you know made up, where family members were left in a bad way, and then maybe in some cases even losing everything they had.
0: Yeah, it, you know. It, thank you for that. <laughs> amen. Amen. Because I'll tell you what—that's one of the biggest challenges that I run into is trying to get. A lot of times, guys are coming to me, and it's like, okay, I want to go, and I'm like ready to go now. And these things take time yes. to put together, you know. And it was interesting. You you mentioned about having the mediator. This just happened recently, just a couple months ago. Got a referral and met this um uh, this new prospect, and I was sitting in the lunch room with he and his son. So his son wanted to buy the business, but dad was still like you know he he was having some chat he wanted to sell to him but he was having some challenges could, sometimes you can't take the shot you can take the, the man out of the shop but you can't take the shop out of the man you know how that goes <laughs> you know and anyway so they get into they start screaming at each other they're yeah. going back and forth and i've just got to sit there with my arms folded i'm smiling and finally the guy looks at me and he goes he goes you're gonna mediate these things right and i'm like That's yeah. I I say sometimes I'm 90% psychologist, you know, the the financial piece. Once you get there, it's like put the piece of the puzzle together. But when you put a puzzle together, you got to know what the picture looks like before you can do it. And I think it's really important to have, first off, to create a vision for what you want your life and your business to look like. And then, how do we create a plan out of that? And then we have these conversations very early on. So, I thank you for saying that because it's always good to have somebody who's esteemed as you out there telling shop owners that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I just, it, it saddens me when I see those family situations happen. And, you know, whether it's with parents and children or, you know, or two parents, right. And one right. Of them respectively deceases prematurely. And it's just very sad. And I, mm-hmm. I just cannot encourage people enough to make sure their affairs are in order and that there's somebody that understands
0: our industry that can help. Right. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, as I grow in this business and I've really come to love this business and I look at the independent shop and I always think, you know, who's going to take care of communities better? Who's going to take care of families better? I really think it's the independent shop. And I think that's why I'm just so passionate about working with uh, these independent family owned shops. So thank yeah, you. Maria, yeah. So one of the other things I, I share
1: with people is that when people are thinking about selling their business, you know, why would you want to sell the golden goose that lays the golden eggs, okay. right? If the golden goose is producing golden eggs for you, right? Then, mm-hmm. And why would you want to sell the golden goose, right? So, I mean, just just think about that, right? Exactly. Still a great industry. It's not doom and gloom. No, um, it's still an amazing industry, and it's. Uh, I just think people need to embrace it. I mean, every every job, every profession, every career is going to have its challenges, and right. ours are getting paid from third party payers and ours is, you know, dealing with employees or, or training and lack of people right now that we have a tech a talent shortage. Right. But again, it's still a great industry and we just got to persevere and stay, stay positive. You know, it's so funny. I was having dinner with someone the other night and he shared a statement with me that I thought was very profound. It was from a a young man. And he said, you know, what do you think is more important motivation or discipline? And I think it's discipline, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Discipline is what gets you up and keep going when you don't want to, right? Motivation might jumpstart you, but discipline is, is really what it takes. And I think we just need to be disciplined.
0: Yeah, and we can't always be motivated. It's just, you know, the motivation comes and goes. But if we have the disciplines to do the things that we know that we need to do, that's what's gonna progress us in the long run. And I think, you know, as a kind of a plug for Mike, you know, Mike's through Collision Advice, you know, does great work in helping you to build value in your business. And, you know, I think sometimes, especially as we're talking about some of these, you know, insider transitions, you wonder, well, how are they gonna pay for it? Well, if you increase cash flow the increase in that cash flow can use to help to fund a lot of these programs that you have. So I think, you know, a lot of the things that you're doing for shop owners out there, Mike, can really benefit them in more ways than just making sure they're more profitable. It can help to secure a future for them.
1: Yes, absolutely, and and you know again, also understand your financials and have clean financials, right? Like if you're not making good money, or you're making minimal profits, or losing money, and your CPA is not sitting down having a conversation with you about it, you need to look for another CPA. And yeah. uh, you know and again I, you know, we talked about culture and that's where i just need to give a shout out to my team i yeah. have 12 incredible team members on my team and man i just love them so much and i i can just tell you that without mentors in my life and without the awesome team i have i would not be as successful as i hopefully am today and i just credit to all of my team and and the mentors before me
0: that's great and I think we all feel that same way and we and I know a lot of people are listening to us feel that way about you Mike so um you, you know you know sir. I know you're a humble guy but you deserve the kudos that you get and I know people really respect you and and value the the information that you provide them so I want to thank you I mean I know we could go on and on on this but thank you Matt <laughs> there's so many different directions we can go but I do want to keep this at a reasonable time and respect your time too so any final thoughts do you want to leave? No, just, uh, you know, it's not a doom and gloom business. It's an absolutely incredible business. So,
1: you know, just suck it up, Buttercup, continue to go through there. And uh, Matt, I am just grateful for the opportunity to be on your show here And, May. The good Lord just bless you and everybody that's listening in. So God
0: bless you. Appreciate thank you. Thank you. And God bless you too. And the last blessings go to you, the audience. And thank you for listening to Your Business, Your Life with me, Matt Francesco. If you've not subscribed to the podcast, please click the subscribe button below. That way, every time a new episode comes out, uh, it'll get downloaded directly to your advice. If you're watching this on YouTube, please give us a five-star review. We certainly appreciate it. That helps us to go up on the charts there too. So with that, again, I want to thank you, Mike, for being on. Fabulous stuff once again. Yeah. Thank you for all you do for the industry and hope to see uh, everybody real soon. So take care and God bless. Hey, I really want to thank you for listening to the Your Business, Your Life podcast. If you want to be notified when new episodes become available, click the subscribe button below.
1: The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of High Lift Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment, legal, or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified professional with any questions you may have regarding your business or personal planning. DeFrancesco Financial Concierge, LLC, DBA, High Lift Financial is a registered investment advisor. Registration with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission
0: or any state security authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training.